Good morning. Our scripture reading for today is Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. Hear now the Lord of the Lord. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Um, Welcome, everyone. Uh, Before I begin, I do have an announcement uh, that I want to just alert you to. Um, So yesterday, uh, our session met for its annual retreat, and many topics uh, were discussed. Uh, Among them, our current uh, COVID protocols. As you know, um, it's the state and schools and this country, um, it keeps changing uh, what the best way to uh, handle uh, the current situation. And as I wrote in my letter to you all last week, um, we have been using the New Jersey Cali scores uh, determine whether or not or when to move to a fully remote worship service. The New Jersey Cali scores were a very useful tool in helping us to make a difficult decision uh, under ever-fluid conditions. Uh, and I think it really helped us kind of get through the earlier part of the pandemic. Uh, however, given our current understanding of COVID and its relative dangers, uh, we no longer believe that the New Jersey Cali measurements are, um, you know, are as meaningful as they once were because it measures the, uh, the case rate, COVID-like symptoms, a positivity rate, which I think at this point, in this phase of the pandemic, are not as a meaningful measure of the dangers. And so at this time, uh, session concluded that we will use an alternative guideline that I think better um, is aligned with our current realities about when to move to a fully online service. And so rather than looking at the state or the uh, county uh, metrics, Uh, we will move to a fully remote service when there are three unrelated positive COVID cases within our congregation in a given week. Okay, so let me say that again. So we will move to a fully remote service when there are three unrelated positive COVID cases 
within our congregation uh, in a given week. And so we will, of course, continue to offer a Zoom option for those who are not comfortable uh, being here. Um, and we believe that it is still very, uh, it's, a, it's a reasonably safe environment for us to gather and to continue to meet for uh, in-person worship. And so we will continue to do that. Session, of course, will continue to monitor, monitor the situation and adjust our policies as uh, conditions warrant in the coming uh, months. Uh, but for now, we believe this is the most reasonable way forward. And so again, I just uh, ask for your understanding and, uh, and if you have any questions, uh, please don't hesitate to ask, all right? Uh, please pray with me. Lord, we thank you again for this day that you have made. We are, um, yeah, we're thankful to be in this season of Advent, to look forward to your coming uh, once again, a reminder that a great light has dawned in your light. Help us to see. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So today's reading from Isaiah is the last of the lectionary readings from the Old Testament. Beginning next week, we are going to spend um, a number of months uh, in the Gospel of Matthew all the way through uh, Easter Sunday in April. Now, the book of Isaiah has a very complex history. But scholars generally make a very sharp division between the first 39 chapters of the book and the rest of the book. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah take place before the exile in Babylon. And so Isaiah is warning the people of God's impending judgment because the people are chasing after idols. They are not following the ways that God has called them to live. And then beginning in the 40th chapter, in what appears to be after a number of decades, the voice of Isaiah reemerges as the end of the exile nears, and God's word is no longer one of impending judgment, but one of renewal and hope. Chapter 40 begins with the words, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So it moves from a, a time of judgment to a time of hope. It's the dawn of a new era for the exiles. It's the middle of the sixth century BCE, a time when the Persians are beginning to replace the Babylonians as the dominant world power in the region. And so these words come to an Israelite community that is still in exile, but who now have this hope of a return to their homeland under the Persian repatriation policies. So it's within that context that our reading comes this morning. And our reading this morning is also known as the first of four servant songs found in the second half of the book of Isaiah. And these four songs of the servant collectively describe and point to a unique character and the activity of this servant of the Lord who will be instrumental in this return and renewal. There is ongoing debate about who the servant of the Lord is, but let's first consider what the servant of the Lord is. First, it may be obvious, but the servant of the Lord is a servant of the Lord. 
It is one whom God has chosen to be his servant. The servant is God's decision. This is not someone who has self-proclaimed to be the Messiah or a deliverer, but it's one whom God has chosen. This is not just any old worker who wants to do something good. It's one in whom God delights. The servant is a beloved of God. God the Lord, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who gives breath to all people, this almighty God, this is the one who has called this servant. God is the one then who promises to uphold the servant, to take him by the hand, to give him a covenant for the people and as a light for the nations. God is the one who will uphold this servant and the one who will place his spirit upon him. God is the one who raises up. God is the one who empowers for the work that God has for him. It's all initiated and enabled by God. The servant is a part of this new thing that God declares to the nations. Second, the servant's work will be characterized by justice. Justice is mentioned three times in the first four verses. The servant will bring forth justice to the nations, verse one. He will faithfully bring justice, verse three. And he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, verse four. I know that when we hear the word justice, we are prone to think largely in forensic terms. We think about law and order of police officers and lawyers and judges in courtrooms handing down judgments and sentences for criminals. We think of justice as meeting out just deserts, right? Deserved, well-deserved punishments for crimes committed for those who break the law. Justice for many means a kind of a, uh, an equal or a blind treatment under the law, a crackdown, a cracking down of criminals, a war on crime, and so on. But in the Bible, God's concern for justice is less about catching and punishing wrongdoers than it is about feeding the hungry, setting the captives free, protecting the orphans, the widows, the immigrants, and other vulnerable peoples. The scholar Andrew Bartelt writes that the concept of justice in the Bible refers to a positive sense of God's law and order, a peaceful and whole life in relationship with God, with others, and with all creation. Or as Isaiah tells us, the work of justice for the servant is to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Biblical justice is about something far more than punishing criminals. It's about wholeness, about shalom, well-being, and the flourishing of all. That is justice. It's about an ordering of society, or perhaps a, a reordering of society in which all can live lives of dignity, security, and prosperity. That is God's justice. And third, the servant's work is characterized by incredible gentleness. He will not draw attention to himself. He's not gonna shout the loudest in the streets to get attention. He's not going to make controversial claims to grab the headlines and sound bites. He's not going to post 
outrageous statements to get attention and clicks on social media. He will not impose justice with an imperial iron hand. I was remembering that、um, as a young parent, I would often try to impose my will, my sense of justice, on my kids with this sort of heavy handedness.、Um, you know, when, when the kids would fight, I would come in and I would judge between them. And、uh, I would tell the wrongdoer,、uh, who was usually, never mind, I would usually tell the wrongdoer, you know, say you're sorry, say you're sorry. And、um, sometimes he or she would be very stubborn and would refuse to apologize. And then so then I would have to raise the stakes, raise the threat level, you know,、uh, no reading before going to bed. That was, a bad, that was a really bad one. That was a horrific punishment for them.、Um, and so eventually the child would say, okay, I'm sorry. But of course, in their heart, they're not sorry at all. They were not sorry at all. I didn't teach them to be sympathetic or to internalize what it was that they really did wrong and to really genuinely feel bad for what they had done. I didn't teach them to be gentle. They only learned that dad is bigger and he can make up the rules and he can force them because he's bigger. It seems to me that the world usually operates in similar ways. The strong assert their will upon the weak. But Isaiah's servant is radically different. Radically different. He will not even break a bruised reed. A bruised reed is, I mean, it's, it's already so broken, but even that he will not break. He will not quench a faintly burning wick, a flame that's just about to go out. Even that he's not going to blow out. He will not crush those who are hurt, those who are weak, those who are barely hanging on in life. Such tenderness points to a very different kind of power and justice, one built on compassion and tenderness and not the imposition of brute force. It matters how we go about establishing the justice of God. I think of the civil rights movements. And the, and the work of, of people like Gandhi and others who pursued a way of righteousness with incredible courage in their nonviolent protests, a willingness to not strike back, to love their tormentors. You know, when we think about these three qualities of the servant of Isaiah, the one who is chosen and beloved by God. The one who works untiringly for justice, the one who treats others with compassion and tenderness, it's impossible not to think about Jesus, right? Isaiah's servant of the Lord is chosen and beloved by God. Likewise, in his baptism, God said of Jesus, This is my beloved, chosen and marked by my love. It, it practically repeats the words of Isaiah. And then The words are capped off with both receiving the Spirit of God. Isaiah's servant pursued a ministry of social justice. And likewise, in his first sermon, Jesus in Luke 4 preached from another text in Isaiah The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus saw his entire ministry in the same terms as that of the servant of the Lord in Isaiah. And Isaiah's servant is compassionate and gentle. And likewise, Jesus repeatedly, we are told, felt compassion for the crowds, for the people who seemed like sheep without a shepherd. And he told his weary disciples in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am gentle, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is not an accident, nor a coincidence. Jesus was immersed in the scriptures. He knew Isaiah. His sense of ministry, his sense of his identity and self-understanding were shaped by the scriptures and by the promises of Isaiah. And Matthew certainly saw Jesus as the fulfillment, the embodiment of Isaiah's servant, which he explicitly says in Matthew 12. And we too, with the whole church throughout the ages, we can look to Jesus as the fulfillment, the perfectly faithful and compassionate servant of the Lord who ushers in God's kingdom of justice. Especially in this season of Advent, we can give thanks for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of God's promises. However, the words of Isaiah should not be taken as merely a prophecy about Jesus to be marveled at. The exiles certainly did not hear these words as only about some unidentified future sermon who is to come. While we can and should interpret Isaiah as prophetically pointing to Jesus Christ, it does not mean that the church should then sit idly by and wait for the coming of the Lord again. Paul Hansen writes, rather than being a biographical description of one person in one place and time, the servant, thus, is the description of the human being whom all who love God are challenged to become. It is a description, not just of a person who is to come, but a description of all who love the Lord. It's, it's what we are to become. I believe that Isaiah is telling us, foretelling us of the coming Messiah in Jesus Christ. But at the same time, Isaiah is calling the people of Israel to take on their collective calling as a servant of the Lord. And by extension, Isaiah is calling us, the church, to be the servant of the Lord today, even as we await his coming again. The church must look to Jesus as the exemplary servant of the Lord, but in so doing, we need to imitate him in his servanthood. So here's, I think, what it might mean for us. Like Isaiah's servant, like Jesus, we too are chosen and called and beloved by God. This is our foundational truth. This is our foundational truth. In Jesus Christ, before the foundations of the universe were laid, God chose to love us in Jesus Christ. No matter how the world criticizes you 
or devalues you or makes your worth contingent upon their skewed measurements of material success, you are the beloved child of God. No matter what your peers may say or not say about you on social media, you are the beloved child of God, chosen and a delight to God. No matter what disappointments your teachers, your coaches, and even your well-meaning parents may consciously or unintentionally communicate to you, you are the beloved child of God, marked by his love. No matter what your own brain sometimes will tell you when you are feeling discouraged or depressed or defeated, you are the beloved child of God, the chosen in whom God delights. You have to immerse yourself in this truth and let this truth override everything else you hear every day in your life because the world wants to give you a different narrative about who you are. And you only get to hear this, most of you, on Sunday mornings. It's not enough. You have to hear it often. Even the people who love you with the best intentions will sometimes become messengers, false messengers of the world's values. I know that over the years, I have too often spoken in haste, in frustration, in anger, out of my own insecurities and false ambitions. Sometimes I just out of ignorance and have hurt those around me by speaking the world's truths rather than God's truths. All of you tiger moms and tiger dads out there, please be careful. It is far too easy for children to internalize their parents' hopes and earnest wishes for their success as an expectation and demand, and how painful it can be to not meet those expectations. By all means, live fully, be disciplined, strive to develop all your gifts, feel satisfied in your successes, but remember your foundations. Remember your foundations. Remind yourself and tell those around you, those whom you love, those whom you have authority over, again and again, that your identity does not reside in your accomplishments, no matter how often the world and the people around you tell you so. Rather, your foundation, your value, your identity rests in the one sure, unshifting foundation. You are the beloved child of God, chosen and marked by his love. If Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, needed to hear in his baptism that he's the beloved, that he's the chosen, that he's been marked by God's love, then certainly every one of us need to hear that 
and to hear it again and again. Because every day, you're going to hear something just the opposite. So listen. You are the beloved child of God. Chosen and marked by his love. And church, you are the chosen, the one empowered by God for the work of justice that has been set before you. We are called to do this work of justice. We have a responsibility as the beloved servants of God to work toward establishing justice upon all the earth. From the beginning, the people of God, in the calling of Abraham, God promised in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God wants to bless all the families of the earth. And the great commission that Jesus left his disciples, his last words in Matthew, were to make disciples of all nations, to establish justice for all peoples. Not only that, but you might remember that the first story we heard in the narrative lectionary was the story of Noah. And God made a promise, not just to Noah and his family, but to all of creation. God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. The rainbow is a sign of the covenant that God makes, not only with the people of God, but with all of the earth. The work of justice and peace, the promises of well-being and blessing, are for all of God's creation. And that is the task, that is the work that we have. You may have seen um, bumper, sticker, bumper stickers uh, with the slogan, no justice, no peace. It's not clear to me what the original intent of that slogan is, but I sometimes hear it brandished as a kind of threat. It suggests that unless a particular victim or people receive some form of justice, then that there will be those who will protest and disrupt and even turn to violence. Some will further argue that some injustices are so egregious that nothing short of violence will suffice. It's a linking of justice and peace in this very narrow sense. But no justice, no peace conveys to me a larger and simpler truth. That unless there is justice, that is a biblical flourishing of all, there can be no peace, no shalom, no well-being. Biblically speaking, justice, that is righteousness or rightness, and peace, this, this broader sense of well-being, they're, they're practically synonymous in scripture. Again, not so much that we have to lock up bad people so that we can feel secure. Not that there is an absence of conflict within just my own circle of families. But that entire communities, entire communities can have this sense of well-being. So that all can be blessed. The work of justice is about the healing of all, not retribution and punishment. This is the new work that God is doing. This is the work to which we are called to participate. We as a church and every one of you, you have a ministry of justice to do, a work to proclaim the good news. Now, I was reminded uh, the last couple of weeks that nearly everything we do in this church as a ministry comes 
from you. It comes from your passions, comes from your gifts. There is almost nothing that we do that I thought of or the session thought of or that, the, that we have insisted. It all comes from you, from your ministries. All of our engagement with the world, whether it's overseas missionary work in places like Kenya and the Dominican Republic, whether it's collecting cans of food for those facing food insecurity, or the current um, prayer walk that the mission committee recently started, it's all driven by your sense of mission, by your calling to pursue justice. My hope and prayer for you, for those of you who are not as involved right now, is that as you are informed about the needs of the world and in our community every week, that you will be moved by the Spirit to join in that work. Like a piece of flint that has to be struck again and again and again before it ignites, it is my hope and prayer that repeated exposure to the needs around us will cause a spark to ignite and set you ablaze for the work of justice for God. As Isaiah says, we, the servant of the Lord, are to be a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison of those who sit in darkness. Now you can read that very literally, Certainly we know that Jesus healed the eyes of the, those who were physically blind. But I think we can read this in another way. We are to be a light to the nations, to open the eyes of those who are spiritually blind, to bring out those who are imprisoned by whatever difficulties, whatever sins that they've been entrapped by, to bring a word of hope to those who sit in darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But he also said, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine that others may see and give glory to God. And you need not be overwhelmed by the massive needs of the world. You just need to shine your light in whatever piece of darkness you find yourself in. This is a season of Advent, a season of lights. It's a reminder that even the smallest of lights can overcome the deepest of darknesses. In fact, the way of the servant of the Lord is by such smallness. Rather than trying to, to cast a massive floodlight directly into someone's face, we're called to pursue a way of gentleness and compassion. We do the work of justice not by the exploitation of power, nor through the imposition of heavy-handed rules, but by the way of meekness that Jesus taught us. What's really noteworthy about the words for us today for me is that God is calling an exiled, a traumatized, a broken people to be the light of the world. He is not calling Israel at the height of her powers. He's not calling them after everything has been restored. But the call comes when the people are still in exile, 
When everything is in chaos, when they are unsure of their future, he calls them to be the light, to be a covenant people, to be the servant of the Lord. There's a line in the song Anthem by the late great Leonard Cohen, which I think captures this very well. He sings, ring the bells that can still sing. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Isn't this true? Isn't it precisely in the broken places of our lives where God's light can heal us? How many of you were blessed by the testimonies that were given at our Thanksgiving service? A broken bell can still ring. God wants to use our very weaknesses, the cracks in our lives that will bring encouragement and healing to others. I think it's when we have experienced our brokenness, or at least acknowledge the brokenness in our lives, that we can then approach others with this kind of gentleness, knowing how easily, how fragile people can be, how easily we can be broken. You know, in the last of the four servant songs, the servant is described as one who was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. It seems to me that Jesus knew what it was to be rejected and perhaps he understood in himself what it was to be broken. Even as the perfect lamb of God, he knew how to be gentle because he knew what it was to be rejected. Isaiah offers us a vision, not only one of Jesus who is to come, but of a people, perhaps both an individual as well as a collective servant in Israel and as a church, who in the midst of brokenness, in spite of the brokenness, perhaps because of the brokenness, we can be a light of God's covenant. Church, you are the light of the world right now. Do not wait for the day when you think you've got everything figured out. Do not wait for the day when you think you can get your life all straightened out. Do not wait for the day when the pandemic is over, when your kids are out of diapers, when your kids are finally off to college, when you finally graduate, when you're an empty nester, or when you retire. Don't wait to a time that you imagine you can make a perfect offering. That day is not going to come. Forget your perfect offering. Today, today, let your light shine so that others can see and give glory to God. Pray with me. God, we thank you for Jesus 
your perfect servant who has shown us the way, this, this unflagging commitment to justice, and yet with such gentleness and compassion. God, we ask that we as your people, that we would rise up, and that we would shine the light that you have given to us that we would serve, that we would do your work of justice right now, not in some distant future when we imagine we will have more time or when we'll have things better figured out or when it's more convenient, but in all our weakness and all our brokenness, even today, God, help us to shine our light so that others may see what you are doing and give glory to you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.